You are down with. Yo, Dave. What up? Drop the beat. We like it old school. You know how we do this. What you listening to? The brothers from the 818. 818 we are back with part four of our series on police reform my name is dave as you know kicking the one man caleb caleb before you say anything i got i got a question man are we gonna finish this because, <laughs> <laughs> uh last time we only we still on question two um and we're starting uh week four um or or uh, part four um how long is this gonna go on man what's your thoughts um it's gonna go on until it's going to go on until we've felt like we've addressed the issues and maybe we'll get some different, a different panel, but we need to continue the discussion. Um, you know, in the, the last, in the last uh, discussion, we were really talking about causality, causality and cause and effect, colonization, slavery, the civil rights movement, uh, segregation, and discrimination and how those are the vehicles and the reasons for or that contributes to the systemic and the institutional racism that I believe we were all talking about. I want to hear from the panel and, and we need to talk about white privilege. It came up. It came up and I was surprised that it almost took um, uh, three times for us to sit down, but it came up finally. Um, and we as 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 we continue this discussion, we need to talk about whether or not Black Lives Matter is is something that um, is is a deterrent for the, the uh, is it is it a, is it in the way because we know that a lot of a lot of people think of it as a divisive organization. It's not it's not unifying the country. So there's a lot to go on, man. There's a lot to talk about. I can't wait to hear what the panel has to say today. Yeah, me too, man. You said if we have to get a new new panel, I'm gonna have to resort to bribery, man. I like these these cats. I like this yeah, panel, me too. And, and I'm hoping that they're willing to uh, stick with us. Um, I asked you that question kind of facetiously because the, the truth is, I want to keep going until we got nothing more to say. Right? I don't know if this panel is. I don't know if this panel is is gonna ride with us for the next for the next year though. So uh, it might be a little tough. It might be, but if we can, you know, hey, if we have to put a pin in it and 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 do something later, um, we'll figure it out. But, you know, let's get into it, man. Let's get into it. So, um, like I said, we had, uh, for those of you who are just catching us on part four, my first question is, where you been? And then right. the second question, or the second thing is, <clears throat> just for uh, 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 diplomacy's sake, I uh, just want to reintroduce everybody. Um, we got uh, Mike. Mike is a, a police officer in a, a major, uh, a large metropolitan police force on, on the West Coast. 
We got Zach. Uh, Zach is uh, in education. He's also a community um, community advocate, um, um, just uh, not only for for black men but for men for youth. Um, he's uh, a, a big movement uh, for the student population as well, um, and they, and just active in the community. And we got Damani, um, uh, originally from the West Coast, uh, Oakland, California. Uh, some call it Beirut, <laughs> uh, but he uh, he lives in the Midwest now. And um, and each of these men have just brought a very um, interesting perspective and have just taken transparency to new levels. So um, y'all hear from me all the time. Um, I'm done. Uh, people, uh, men, welcome back to the Brothers from the 818. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, good uh, good intro. So, yeah, Caleb, you mentioned white skin privilege, and, and I'll speak on behalf of that as a person with white skin. I look at white skin privilege, and you guys can disagree with me with this, I'm sure, as, as, a, as a theory with, uh, and without any practical application, it's, it's a theory. So, before I was even born, uh, my dad applied to be a mailman and the United States Post Office told him, if you were black or brown, we could hire you now. My GPA has had to be that much higher than everybody else's to get into all the colleges I've attended. Uh, preferential points were given to uh, black, brown and females for the police department that I was hired on. I've had to be that much better than everybody else to get hired onto the police department. Um, and to this day, uh, they're still uh, hiring uh, protocols and, and preferential treatment for those who are non-white. So in my experience, is that the ex experience of every white person on this planet? Of course not. But in my experience, it's, it's a theory with very little practical application for me. So we can agree to disagree on that. But you also, Caleb, mentioned uh, Black Lives Matter and my opinion on Black Lives Matter is that if we're talking about police reform, which is what the topic of this is, I see a little coming from Black Lives Matter as an organization as far as reform. I look more of them as a punish. Um, we want payback uh, for what's been happening. And I don't think that does any, uh, I don't think it, we progress with that because let me tell you from the culture of, of police, what happens when you defund the police. It's not the money. Um, all they did was take away our overtime. So, which they were gonna take away because of COVID anyway in the economy. But it almost as if you're being punished for something one officer in Minnesota did. And what happens with the punishment is a demoralizing. And we back off. We say, okay, you're gonna get the exact police work you deserve for this one. And when we scale back, Crime goes through the roof. This war on cops, this blaming cops, um, we're all racist. We all need to be defunded. Crime is through the roof in every major city in this country because cops have scaled back. Now, ironically enough, more black lives are being lost now because police have scaled back. Once we stop doing the traffic stops and getting the guns off the street, once we stop doing the ped stops, getting guns off the street, arresting the shooters, crime is through the roof right now in every major city, even traffic. We've slowed down on traffic stops just because of the climate. Hey, I'm not gonna get involved in anything and, and jeopardize my career over a traffic stop. Um, this time last year, we had five uh, deaths as related to traffic accidents. We have 26 already. 
just the traffic enforcement. Now, those are not all black lives, obviously, but the inner city shootings are. And in my division, they are. We haven't had this many murders in over 10 years. And that's because officers are scaling back. So you want to defund the police, you're demoralizing the police, and we scale back, which actually makes the black community suffer. Which, by the way, in I got to South Central in 04, and I've gotten more positive encounters this last year, year and a half, than I have in my entire career. The black community has approached me more, hey, we need you guys more, now more than ever. So I wonder if a lot of the backlash is, is coming from the actual community or if it's people who think we're doing something wrong, but don't, I mean, are any of these interviews being done by people or policymakers? Have they ever stepped foot in the area they're trying to advocate for? Um, because in my experience, we're not as hated as it sounds. We're hated by policymakers, we're hated by politicians, but the community themselves are appreciative now than I've ever seen. Hey, uh, Mike, man, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate your, your perspective. Um, and in regards to white privilege, um, I would say, um, welcome to the club, man, as far as you saying that you have to work harder because I've been working harder than most of my counterparts um, as, as long as I've been in, in, in school and, and employment. Um, but I think it, I think it is, speaks to what I, what, I, what I opened with and speaking about um, um, the, the um, 400 years of the white man having a head start in this country and how the black man has been um, been forced to have to find equal footing after slavery and colonization, the, the civil rights movement, segregation, uh, all the discrimination and, and issues that um, the community felt in the, in the 70s or 80s. But this is not about me, this is about this panel. So uh, let's open it back up to the panel. Um, Zach, Damani, you guys have anything that you would like to chime in, or Dave, do you have anything? Yeah, I, I, Gotta I throw this out, Damani, because when you go, you know you're gonna go. So let me <laughs> let me just throw this one out there. Right, right, go. <laughs> uh, I like how you said it, uh, Caleb. Welcome to the club, um, uh, Mike. I've heard that argument before, and honestly, I can't even disagree with you about the policies that have been in place in your lifetime. And I'm assuming you're you're a few years younger than myself. Uh, you're, you and you and Zach are probably around the same age. Forty-three. Uh, you said what? Forty-three. Yeah. So you guys are around the same age, right? Yeah. yeah I might be putting some years on you, Zach. Um, <laughs> but um, there, during your lifetime and your and when I say your lifetime, your adult lifetime, I think there have been a lot of policies in place to slow the rise of the white man down. And let me put that a different way to accelerate the opportunities for people of color, namely black men. Because when you have a 400 year head start, <clears throat> and maybe we'll discuss this one next time, but there's a video, I, I, I think we played it a couple weeks back, Caleb, it's called Rat Race. And it's basically, and it shows, here's the race, and 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 the, it's go, and as soon as they say go, 
a railroad uh, bar drops in front of the black people and the white people take off. And all of the things that happened as a factor of society from you know gentrification to to policies to arrest to stumbling to to everything that happened redlining etc all the way up into uh, 1965 or so and then they said go and they're already a lap behind but that lap equals roughly 400 years and so policies were implemented affirmative action I, i'd be the first to admit i i, I went to a very uh, prestigious school in in northern california because of affirmative action i had decent grades i had you know a, a, a booming sat but affirmative action got me in there right but it didn't help me graduate right it didn't help me get through the policies it's there were things that said let's slow down this increase the opportunities for this and most of those policies that existed in the 80s don't exist anymore Right. And there's some other things going on. Like you said, there's still some hiring policies today where you got to work that much harder. So when Caleb said, welcome to the club, he was reading my mind. That's exactly where that comes from. So I'm done with that. Damani, go. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't going to add to that, but that was a good point by Caleb as well. Uh, I, I wanted to address the, the, the Black Lives Matter part as a community activist. I believe in the Black Lives Matter in its original context. Its original context was a battle cry after, after Trayvon Martin was killed. The Black Lives Matter that's an organization is a whole different animal. And it has multifaceted uh, focuses that have nothing to do with black people. So I don't support that in this way. And in the political sense, when they're using it, it's a racist trope. It just speaking to all black people. When they say, oh, Black Lives Matter is coming to our town, so we got this militia group, we out here holding this fence. Who are you really talking about? They're, they're, not, they're not talking about the, the three ladies that, that run, they're talking about black people in general when they use that term. So, so people throwing that out there, well, what about Black Lives Matter? What about this? What they're really saying is about black people, period. To avoid conflict and that and how it affects political might it is about punishment because when something when something transgresses against jews they don't start talking about these flowery terms and how we're going to change stuff it's about punishment when something transpires against white people it's about punishment when something transpires against Mexican, it's about punishment. When it gets to black people, all of a sudden, oh no, it's about GoFundMe. Oh, it's about doing jumping jacks. Oh, it's about lift every voice and sing. No, it's about punishment. You kill one of us doing absolutely nothing, eating ice cream in my house in my underwear. <laughs> I'm expecting punishment. Now, if I'm committing a crime, which we said in our, our earlier broadcast, I'm in the middle of commission a crime, I robbed a bank, I'm out dumping shots. Yeah, I'm expecting to get shot. Yeah, I'm expecting to do 20 years. I didn't kill six, eight people. Yeah, I'm not debating that. Oh, because I'm black, I should get a lesser sentence. No, not debating that. But again, Tamir Rice, 11-year-old kid playing in the park. Because you shot an 11-year-old white kid, you know what time it would have been. 
they wouldn't have been talking about, oh, we're going to defund the police. We need to come up with some new laws. No, they'd have wrote that law that day. Oh, the first officer to shoot another one. <laughs> and I, Mayor so-and-so, am declaring it would have been done already. We wouldn't have had a news conference. No, no preacher would have to come out with a perm and say, yeah, this is what we're going to do. No, it had got done right then and there. Punishment. Because when you arrest us, it's about punishment. They don't care about my upbringing, my education, or lack of. It's about punishment. Yes. Black Lives Matter, yes. It is about punishment. Because again, you ain't put a knee in the neck of some white dude in the national TV in front of everybody. And when it does, we all gonna be with black people gonna be eating popcorn. Like, okay, we're gonna see how this is gonna work. Are they gonna protest for a year? No, it's gonna get handled within them weeks. Mayor gonna resign, everybody gonna, oh, the chief of police gonna step down. Oh, the white community, they just not having it. You gonna see all oh, this reform. Did they have a meeting about it? No. President himself, I'm like, oh, we need a legislation. He gonna, he gonna bark on Congress. He gonna talk to the Senate. Y'all better do something. And it happens. No voting needed. But when it's black people, it turns into something else. Oh, well, let's let's see how this long it goes. Let's see how much money they can raise. Let's see if they want to sing the national anthem over here. Let's see if the basketball teams want to put some stickers on the floor. No, it's about punishment. Now again. Are there some good cops? Yeah, I know some. Are there some bad cops? Oh, yeah. Know some of them, too. I, I, we looking at the terms of historical significance in, in the laws that we follow. I, I, I mentioned earlier uh, the off-camera conversation with, with the group. The laws that came into the place after uh, slavery was ended during the period of Reconstruction. The Reconstruction was was being dismantled. They said, okay, we're going to kind of give things back to the, the Southern uh, slave owners in, in a newfound way, hence the word Reconstruction. And the first thing they enacted were, were the Black Codes. <laughs> and the first Black Code for newly emancipated slaves that didn't know what to do. They free, we you know, we can we can go about just like any other citizen. At least that's what the Constitution said, right? Once they, you know, President Lincoln signed that in, they imitated the white people they saw in town who previously didn't have to work like they did. So they hung out in town square with their feet up, yeah, you know, talking, then they spit the tune, they had their little cup, and they was talking, and the black people saying, Yeah, man, what you doing over here, boy? Oh, we can do this, we ain't gotta work, we're gonna do the same thing you do. They start hanging out, talking about old times. Oh, yeah, remember that song we used to sing? They said, no, we got to do something about that. They created the first law, loitering. It wasn't for black people. It was for these black people. You Loitering. Loitering today is in full effect. My mother lives in Richmond, in Richmond, California, and there's a Home Depot right down the way. Illegal immigrants all over there waiting to work, hopping in people's truck to go get work. No one calls the police. There's no loitering. There's big sciences. No loitering. They there. Hundreds of them. Three black dudes go there. Police roll up right on the spot. Gentlemen, y'all got to move along. He said, you talking to all They're like, no, we talking to you three. Because <laughs> they're loitering. Nah, I'm trying to work just like that. And I speak English. 
these immigrants, they, they shouldn't even be on this soil. Well, I ain't got no rights. Loitering today. And subsequent laws have been built upon it, and they're all racially motivated in some way. All of where, where National Guards had to come into play have all been an incidence in Black communities. The riots in the 60s, a lot. Uh, Chicago riots, riots in New York. They were in Black neighborhoods. National Guard ain't showed up in a white neighborhood yet. We in 2021, we're like, okay, there ain't no disgruntled white people. They are. They just don't think to do that. That's only targeted towards us. And we're we're to a point now that it, it you know we're almost immune to it. We're like this is common practice. We feel like now we we're not making enough noise if they don't show up, or, or our cause is not just if National Guard don't show up. We just upset at something at the time. And Zach mentioned something about accountability too. My opinion, and again, I'm I'm expressing this as my personal opinion. Black people want personal accountability just as much as white people, but at the same time, white people really don't want black people to have accountability because again, if we had accountability on our end, you ain't gonna need the police anymore. You're not going to need all of these services and all of these prisons that they're building. They're not building them in hopes that you don't show up. They already got a plan. You're going to fill them up. And they're planning jobs accordingly. But if we had our own accountability right now, which, again, in my opinion, I figured that's why uh, Minister Farrakhan is, is, is trying to be uh, censored at every chance he show up. They're trying to knock him down anyway because he already got the blueprint. And I'm not talking about selling bean pies and newspaper. He's like, dude, we have a way to be self-sufficient. We don't need none of that. It's in us. If we just, as black women, just stop. We ain't, we ain't doing perms and nails and all that. That's funding the Korean economy and not our own. If we not buying another black people, we not buying them. That's what's going to be on us. Accountability is black men. Okay, you gang banging. Okay, let's, let's get your mindset into what you really supposed to be. We got gangbangers all over America. That's black. Couldn't it work? They ain't shot near a white person. I still don't know one. They knocking off other black people. And again, I'm not saying you should just go on a tirade. We need to kill the whites. No, that, that's not what I'm saying. But your mindset is you're killing your own people. You have to be accountable in that. And in you not killing other black men, that leaves more fathers around. There's many kids that don't have fathers. We need more of them around. And then we need a transition between us, those of us who are educated, those of us who, who have PhDs and master's degree in psychology. And all. Okay, we need to start examining some of these brothers to get them through the trauma that they went through in their time frame. We're not talking about 1892. We're talking about 1992. <laughs> what happened from there to here? Let's, let's fix that. That's a, a form of personal accountability. Now, again, white people, when we make that transition, there shouldn't be no pushback. Don't jump up like, oh, I ain't doing that. Oh, that's reverse racism. They start making up stupid stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought you wanted us to solve our problem. You know, black lives matter. No, blue lives matter. No, black lives matter. 
But then when Asians come up and say we'll end all Asian hate, there's no 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 white counterparts saying we ending all hate. No one's saying nothing. It's only when you speak. It's only when you speak as a black person. Zach, uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about what Damani had to say? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, first let me let me. I was thinking. Let me go back to what Mike kind of spoke about when he was talking about the white privilege and so forth, right? And he gave any and, and he used that example. Uh, and forgive me, Mike, if I you know got the years wrong or whatnot. But you were you were talking about the postal service, and I, I believe it was your father. Uh, yeah, uh, it was like mid seventies, early seventies. Mid seventies, early seventies, whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as I sat there and listened, what was interesting, so that, that whole, that as you told that story, right, uh, I thought about white privilege, right? And to go kind of deep with it is the when you, you telling that story, and I'm not just, I'm, not, I'm trying not to personalize it as much, but just because you told the story, but that is white privilege in itself, right? Understanding Right. And having the ability to, to, to tell that story and, and, and feel that way. Right. For a lot of for a lot of people, they'll feel that that is white privilege in itself because of years, centuries and everything else. We have not even had the opportunity. Right. To be in, in, in even on the on the forefront of having an opportunity to, to do a lot of the different things that. Say, for instance, you know. Your, your father had even the opportunity to, to, to be turned down, right? The opportunity just to be turned down. That's why privilege in itself, right? To even have uh, uh, the ability to, to, to be somewhere, right? At one time or another, that, that was white privilege. And over the years, white privilege has expanded, not only just in the physical sense, but in the mental sense as well, right? And for so many folks of colors, of color, excuse me, uh, African American, white privilege is, is is so deep that it's very very hard to feel any any sense of empathy for for Caucasians at times because of everything going on. And when you start thinking of white privilege, right? At a time or two, some folks will say, hey, we don't want much. We just want a chance, right? We just want an opportunity. But the blinders come on, and it's almost at times we feel like, hey, you know what? We're asking for, for, for too much. We can't even get a, a, a crumb, so to speak, at times. Many individuals feel that way. And unfortunately, other races, they don't they don't see that. We've been fighting this fight, the good fight, for so long that we are we are trying to trying to navigate, trying to figure this out. So when you talk about white privilege, right? The sure the, the just just the, the 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 fact alone that hey, you know what? It's not just in the physical sense, it's the mental sense. And the part, the, the mental part is that. Sometimes nobody sees it. You say, hey, you know what? It's 
we don't see it, we don't hear it, we don't understand it. But that's the privilege. That's that's white privilege in itself to, to not even have to even think about it. To not even have to, to feel it, right? You ask those questions, right? Or, or things are said, but those are things that, that you don't have to worry about. And that's where the, the white privilege part comes in. Now, when we talk about Black Lives Matters, right? And I'm like Damani, Black Lives Matters, it, 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 this, it, it's been so, um, what's the word? Somebody help me out. It, it's, it, there's so many different directions it can go. It's been convoluted, yeah. Convoluted, thank you. Right? But Black lives do matter. And then it goes back to, when I think of Black Lives Matter, this is my own personal opinion, right? It is a cry. It is a cry to a variety of different things. It's to bring awareness to what's going on out there that have to do with African-American lives, uh, essentially with, you know, policing. It has to do with, when I, when I think of Black Lives Matter with the white privilege, right? That's part of it. There's so many different factors, so many different things that Black Lives Matter, right? Have to do with our everyday lives as African-Americans and people of color, right? So when you look at it from just a, a, a whole, right? White privilege, Black Lives Matter. These are systems that we as African-Americans have put in place not in order to protect us, but to help guide us, to help us fight the good fight. These are things that we have, have done to help us move forward the best way we know how. And in some situations, we do an excellent job with it. Some situations, we need some work. But these are things that have been put in place to make sure that us as a people, as a culture, are being heard, are being representative, re represented, excuse me, to make sure that we are continuing to move forward because nobody's doing these things for us. We don't have the privilege. We haven't had those opportunities that have been afforded to others over time. So we continue, continue to, you know what? We come up with Black Lives Matter. We come up with terms of recognizing what's going on on the other side, white privilege. We continue with things such as that, sayings, stances, just everyday things to help us put ourselves in a position to recognize that, you know what? We not only need to continue to fight for ourselves because we're not getting the same representation that we need, but to bring awareness to bring that educated background, an educated look. So when we start talking about all those things, it's very necessary. Because if we're not, then who will for us? And it's just not happening now. This has been going on for a long time. Right. So. Mike, you want to respond to any of that? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, and I, not to create any confusion or anything, I was not bringing up those those stories or instances in my personal life to looking for empathy or anything. I was just bringing up examples of trying to explain that it's more of a theoretical concept for me sure. personally than actually having it affect my life. And, you know, my goal 
is to be full-time professor. And it's not going to be my white skin that gets me there. It's going to be my work ethic, full-time cop, part-time adjutant, full-time USC doctorate student. That's what's going to get me. It's not going to, my white right. skin, nobody's going to hand me anything sure. because of my skin. And that's why I have a difficult time with this. You know, some may look at, oh yeah, he, he's a professor because he's white. It's like, I busted my ass to get here. That's what got me here. So I know there's no profanity on the show, but anyway, um, so it wasn't for empathy. It was just, uh, you know, just to explain some personal life uh, uh, situations. But I, I wonder the more we talk, if, you know, the amount of focus we have on race is, is creating more of a, of a divide than, than it is uh, moving forward. And what I mean by that is, I know I'm, I'm speaking about years ago, but in, in 16, uh, during a presidential debate, uh, Dr. Ben Carson was talking and he had my vote way before when, you know, but I just, I don't think he was charismatic enough or whatever the reason he just was too monotone. But he said in that interview, he was interviewed by an NPR reporter and the reporter asked him, why don't you ever speak on race? And he said, well, I'm a neurosurgeon. And the reporter didn't understand what that meant. And he said, see, I operate on what makes that person who they are. It's not your skin color. It's not your hair color. Um, and every instance that involves race um, divides us more than anything else. And he said, we're the United States of America. And I just, I feel that the more and more focus, the more and more divided we get when we talk about race. And I just, colorblind is now a racist thing to say because if i'm not seeing your color i'm not seeing who you are and uh so who's right is dr ben carson right when saying it's your brain who makes you who you are not the color of your skin or is it no if you're not seeing my race you're not seeing who i am i don't know but i know that there's two sides to it and i know that we're so divided right now and we've never talked about race more than now so i don't know what the answer is but i know that doesn't feel like we're going in the right direction. Um, and I want to uh, just go through use of force real quick and then I'll be done. Um, so there was a pastor in Arizona and he was a big advocate of, of police reform and he was borderline anti-police. There's a clip of him walking down the street with a bullhorn. We want his gun. We want his badge. Blah, blah, blah. And he volunteered to go through a police force option simulator. And this is all in the news. You guys can find the clip, I'm sure. And when he went through those scenarios, he shot when he wasn't supposed to. He didn't shoot where he was supposed to and the, the make-believe suspect killed him. And at the end, he was humble enough to say, you know, this is not easy. You got to make decisions quick and compliance is huge. And we can have a whole discussion on compliance because each and every one of these scenarios are different in their own way. Officers' actions, suspects' actions, et cetera. But the, this, this general of the killing each one of these is specific in its own way. Each one of these scenarios, uh, some had weapons, some didn't, some's actions. Michael Brown didn't have a gun, but he punched Darren Wilson in the face and grabbed his gun. Um, so each one of these is different. So, but I just, I've heard, you, you'll never know what it's like to be a black man. Um, and it's true. I never will. So to speak on behalf of what a black man is feeling or what a black man should do or what they shouldn't do, it, I'll never do. But at the same time, can we apply that rationale to police? If you've never had to strap a gun belt on and get in that situation 
should you really be critiquing what the officers did? I would love to uh, address that. I, I got a couple areas I want to address and, and I don't, there's so many things I want to do, but I don't want to go away from where we are, but I'm just going to touch on a couple things and I'll give it back and so forth. And that last part is, is specifically, I, I'm in IT, I'm in education and what I do is not easy. I, I, I truly believe that the four of you can't do what I do. And it's not because I'm greater than you, it's because I'm trained. A surgeon, being a surgeon is not easy, but they're trained. And because of my training, I'm held to a higher accountability. Because you're a surgeon, you're held to a higher accountability. Because you're a social worker, you're held to a higher accountability. Other people can't do what you do. As a police officer, you're trained and you're held to a higher accountability. So yes, it's easy for all of us to look from our ivory towers and look at someone else about what they should do. I implement policies all day long and people are like, you're dumb, why were you doing that? You don't have my burden. You don't get the weight that I carry. So no one's saying it's easy. We're talking about the accountability, but you already said that they should be held accountable. So the other part that I really wanna point out is that we can, you mentioned about not seeing color and colorblind is a problem. And I, and I believe both of those are, are problems because I want you to see me as a black person. I see you as white and see a woman as a female, I see a child as a child. And it's not what you see, it's how you deal with what you see that matters and that makes you who you are. I see you as a white man, but I treat you as a human, right? Doesn't mean I'm ignoring the fact that you're white. It just means I don't do anything with that information in the negative, nor in the positive, nor should you do for me, right? And that's in that sense. The, the divide that you talk about, yes, we talk about race and race is a division, but ignoring the race doesn't close the divide. It leaves the divide so no one can cross it. And then we act like it's not there. And then we move on. And 400 years later, 50 years later, 20 years later, it doesn't take an entire lifetime. Just look at a generation. Nothing has changed because we chose not to address it. We just said we're not going to talk about it. So that's the other thing. Um, if you take money away from education, students fail. You take money away from hospitals, people die. If you take money away from the police, crime goes up. You remove resources and that which made the agency, the entity, the community successful goes away. I don't wanna defund the police. And I know a lot of people throw that out there. I don't wanna defund the police. I wanna change the way it operates. And so, and, I, and you mentioned that, and, and I think a lot of people, I've heard a lot of comments this week, I'm sure Caleb as well. You need to talk about defunding the police. Why? Why? Everything you take money from dies. If I defund you, you're going to lose your house. If I defund you, you're going to get skinny. Why? Because you're not going to be able to eat. If I defund you, you're going to start committing crimes because you got to make it. I don't want to defund. I want to organize and change the way it works. That's it. I'm done. Go. Anybody. I was I was going to just chime in real quick, real quick. Um, Black Lives Matter. Um, the uh, it is certainly convoluted. I'm glad that I mentioned it because we went down this rabbit hole and we're still stuck in question number two and week number four. Um, I don't like the I don't like how um, police reform um, or defund the police has been co uh, coined because um, Dave, you know this. I consider myself above all things an American. And in many regards, 
I consider myself uh, a conservative. And I've heard Mike talk about um, often being um, feeling like he is the only conservative in the room. But, you know, I, I didn't spend 24 years in the military. Um, half of that as an as an officer deployed overseas and not have a sense of patriotism. Right. And so I consider myself a conservative God and country. Right. Um, seek to preserve the way that things um, that things have been uh, and improve. Um, I again, that that sense of identity comes from, uh, you know, my experience in the military. But I also believe in minimal uh, government interventions. And I and I certainly don't like uh, the idea that I have to pay higher taxes if I make more money, right? Um, and I think that we should be talking about, at some point, welfare reform and, and, and judicial reform and uh, pharmaceutical reform and all of those other things that are uh, concerns and uh, um, uh, draining um, the uh, money out of our community, um, and me being me, me identifying myself as a conservative, I also believe in traditional values, and um, and morality, and um, respect, and humanity, and um, and I'm also in in many regards a religious conservative as well, because all of those values are tied to how I. Um, how I, I live my life. And um, so I, I, I don't want you to feel like, you know, I'm not with you, Mike, because I, I'm certainly a patriot and, and I see issues in this country. I just feel like, um, and I think that you mentioned it uh, early on about um, um, improving, improving um, the police force. And in the military, we talked about improving our foxhole. Right. And um, as a nation, we just need to continue to make uh, make strides and improve the conditions that our citizens are in, regardless of the color. And I'll be quiet. I'll, I'll chime in right there. Uh, the first the first point of are we divided? I feel that's only a talking point when 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 the pressure gets on and whites have to examine all the things that have already been done and where we got into this point. We were, no one was saying we are, oh, that's, that's divisive, we're a divided nation when slavery was going. No one had to go, oh, we are divided, we're, we're not a, you know, we're unified, we're not a, a separate nation when Jim Crow went on for a hundred years. The civil rights movement, which which gained its prominence because the 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 invention of television brought it around the world. The people in the South knew that this is how white people got down. People in the North was like, oh, man, I ain't never that would never happen. And they seen on TV like, oh man, they never seen white people spitting mad just because you showed up. We was divided then when we had the first black president. We wasn't united then. They they tried to pacify us. Oh, we're a post-racial America. We had 1,400 militias that was founded on the day Barack Obama was enacted in office. They wasn't signing up to protect him. And Barack Obama had the biggest protection, um, Secret Service detail of any president yet. 
because he was the first black one and American citizens wanted to kill him. We was divided then. And the backlash came. We in we America elected Donald Trump. Was we united then? Some did we miss that segment? Were we united and I missed it? We was divided then too. So we we being divided now is it, no different. And we're not we're not uh fixing the breach, so to speak, just by saying that as a catchphrase, and we haven't done anything to fix any of that. You mentioned Ben Carson. From my family's perspective and our background as standing firm on, on, on being righteous Black people, my mother pressed on us, you strive to be the best of Black people, not the worst. But being the worst of Black people is easy. I'd easily be a drug addict. I'd easily be a cracker. Let me just try it a couple of times. I've been walking the streets, being a zombie, even breaking into people's houses too. But I, my, my parents pressed hard on us to be the best of black people. Ben Carson, we hung on his every word. When Donald Trump approached him and said, Ben, I want you to be a part of my administration. I want you to be the secretary of HUD and housing. A righteous black man would have first stepped back and said, Mr. President, with all due respect, I have to decline. You know I'm a brain surgeon. You got the wrong job title. You mean Surgeon General. Seeing that this is a Nobel Prize for the first person to separate two twins, <laughs> he wasn't trying to get some dude that was a rapper. He was like, no, you can't get some skip all that. You you lived in a house before, we'll put you in housing. And he took it. With no knowledge, no and when he got there, he just okayed whatever they put on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. That's a great idea. I don't know what that means. And the people in real life, dude, do you know what you just signed? You know how many black people you displaced? You know how many you know, we keep using these cat phrases, people of color. I I don't care about people. Come from black people, and I'm pro black. That doesn't make me anti anything, but I'm, I'm pro black in my people. Oh, so so your Ben your Ben Carson analogy struck a chord with me. Like, and and it's only white people that drop his name like that. Black people don't do that. He was done from the beginning. Because if that was David. <laughs> David, like, no, you mean you know, I'm supposed to be head of your information systems track? <laughs> that is my profession. Right. He's not just a dude that just, oh, you got good scores. Anybody can do this job. You got to have some knowledge and expertise because you're writing this legislation for the whole nation. And when he didn't do that, like, no, I'm honored, Mr. Trump or President Trump, but you, you mean the Surgeon General. Oh, no, that was too hard. No, I ain't no black man gonna be there. Oh, no, I got somebody for that. Damani, you got me smirking, man. <laughs> you got me I, I smirking, man. That. <laughs> it is what it is, Channel. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I love the exchange. You know, um, I, wanna, I want to uh, make sure that um, we all kind of have a chance to kind of wrap up our thoughts before we wrap up this this conversation for today. And so um, I will um, 
I will go to uh, Zach and then Mike and then Damani and then Dave. You could uh, close us out, brother. All right. Well, once again, brothers from the 818, I appreciate it. Uh, guys, great conversation, um, enlightening, and there's a lot of work to be done, as we all know, right? And it's going to take uh, the efforts of uh, Damani and his perspective. It's going to take an effort, the efforts of Mike and, and his perspective. And uh, uh, Dave and Caleb, your perspectives as well, you know, and, and mine. And it's going to take uh, uh, raw and just uncut thoughts and feelings and, and all of those things to get the conversation started. And, uh, you know, with all that being said, um, we, we, we can't make any progress if we're unwilling to do the work. And being a part of this uh, right now, it, it tells me that this is this is a start of, of doing that work. And I appreciate you guys allowing me to be a part of it. And I look forward to continuing, uh, excuse me, continuing to be a part of it as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, doesn't matter what perspective it is or where it's coming from, there's something to learn out of everything that's said. So that being said, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll just say real quick um, and then pass it off to Damani. And, and Zach, you mentioned this earlier when, when I was, you know, referring to my some of my experiences in, in ideology. And you said, yeah, I've been hearing that my whole life. And just as you guys are, I've been hearing your side my whole life. I've been hearing your guys' side my whole life. I guess my question is, so now what do we do? I mean, we've been hearing each other's sides. So now what? That's all I got. There you go. Well, I, I got to answer, but that's for another show. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and again, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you, brothers. Definitely, uh, again, being firmly planted in who I am as a man, the people I come from, we want to shirk away from the responsibility, but we're Black first before we're anything. And we got to address everything in that perspective. Because whether we like it or not, everybody else is. Mexicans right now is getting $50 billion checks wrote from our government. And they're not even legal citizens. And when they get the money, they like, like oh, we want to sprinkle some with the people of color. We got Asian hate crime groups getting millions of dollars from the same government that's supposed to protect us, but they ain't did nothing. And they not like, oh, hey, we need some black people to come get some of this with us. It's only them. It's they specifically Asians and, and Pacific Islanders. There ain't no black people in there. Ain't no, well, this is my homie that was in the rap group with me. It's us. They start writing checks to Jews. They, they could be married to black women. They could be married to what? So we, we, why are we stigmatized if we do the same thing? It's about us. It, it always has been. And with that, I, I bid you brothers good tidings, good well to the next time. Hmm. You know, um, I'm glad 
that um, I'm glad I brought up the, the Black Lives Matter because there was varying opinions about Black Lives Matter. And I think we all kind of could probably land it on that it is evolved into something other than what it was originally designed to do. And, but I, I'm glad that we all had a chance to speak on that. And also, I like what Mike said, like, where are we going to go now? Besides jumping on the brothers from the 818, what do you, what are you doing? You know, when, and I'll, and I'll go out there and say it because um, I think of myself as a conservative, but I don't think of myself as a Republican because the Republican party, in my opinion, didn't represent my interests, right? And so um, when um, President Donald Trump was uh, in office, I, um, I made a point to say, you know what, I'm gonna have to speak about um, I'm gonna have to speak on the things that I don't agree with in in his in his policies in his in his um, in his service to our country, um, and so I made a point to do that uh, using this 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 uh, podcast as a platform. But I continue to express my my feelings uh, and outside of this platform as well. So I love the question, Mike. What are we going to do now? And hopefully we could continue to have this discussion and uh, come to an agreement how we could uh, move forward. Dave? Um, I got so much appreciation for what we're saying, but I'll close with this and just bear with me. Uh, George Foreman, before the, uh, the big fight with uh, uh, Ali Rumble in the Jungle, uh, Ali was talking all this trash, but I'm going to do this, this, that, and the other. And they said, Foreman, what do you think? He said, everybody got a plan until they get hit. And these ain't never let me down. Back in two, 2001, 2002, they reintroduced a show called American Gladiators that we remember from the 80s. And there was one of the ladies on there. Her name's Gina Carano. She's big and she was big in uh, MMA and she's an actress now and doing some things. And she was one of the gladiators. And one of the girls was, the ladies going against her was talking trash. And she said, uh, some people talk about it. Some people be about it. And she has to get through me. You ask, what are we going to do? I am a, um, I'm a, I'm a social commentator. I'm a social activist, but more importantly, I'm an agent of change. And, and the, the purpose of the brothers from 818 is to be a vehicle for conversation, a vehicle for taking it to the next level, a vehicle to stir up the pot to get people excited. If you think about us as a Coke bottle, we want to shake it up, give it back to you so you can open it up and get other people wet. <laughs> right? So what are we doing? We're opening up these conversations. And to the person looking at it, they're like, but what are they doing? They're just going back and forth. No, we're creating conversation that now, Damani, you can take this conversation somewhere else and you know you have four people to back you up. Zach, you live two miles from me, right? 
you could be somewhere and you'd be like, you know what? I don't have to do this by myself. I have somebody. Caleb, we spend so much time together. And, and what part of that part can we take and go have these conversations, not in our own communities, but with people that we can enact change for? Mike, we've met now and we've talked and, and maybe you'll have a, a conversation with your captain and find out that they want to do something. You'll say, hey, I know these guys that I've been talking to that will at least come and have a real conversation with us. That's what I'm doing. That's why we do this. And so for anybody who's watching, that's what I want you to see that, yeah, we're we're just building up conversations. It doesn't sound like we're solving anything. But what we're doing is giving you an avenue to now continue this conversation because we're going to continue it. We're talking to each other between the episodes. We're talking to each other in between and after the bathroom breaks and all of these different types of things because we all are passionate on our level and we're not necessarily agree disagreeing at the main point. We are looking at ways to heal the divide, reform the situations, and create account accountability amongst all people. Now, how we do that, there may be some agree to disagree. There may be just some flat disagree. There may be some we agreed to be peaceful, so we're going to be, but I really feel this way about it. And that's just to be expected. I'm not here for anyone. I'm not here to say anything that someone wants to hear, nor to hear what I want to hear. I don't want to get preachy with you, but I just want to leave you with this. And this is everybody. Ecclesiastes in the Bible, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 8 says, for everything, there's a season. There's a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. What we are doing is planting seeds that will harvest. What are you going to do between now and then? Think about that. And we'll be back next time on The Brothers from the 818. Peace out. Peace. You are down with The Brothers from the 818.